So, chapter 47, I, I see as three distinct sort of features to it. There is Joseph and, and especially Jacob standing before the king of Egypt. There is Joseph's family coming to be settled in the land of Egypt. And there is the Egyptians and the Israelites surviving the famine in Egypt. And we're going to take a few minutes with each of these tonight and see how, in a sense, they can apply to our lives. I'm going to take them a little bit out of order as far as how they appear in uh, chapter 47, but I do want to begin with the, uh, the feature of Joseph and Jacob, especially, standing before the king of Egypt. Let's read these few verses, beginning in chapter 47, verse 1. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, their flocks and herds, and all that they own have arrived from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. He took his five brothers and introduced them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph's brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants take care of flocks just as our ancestors did. Then they said to Pharaoh, we have come to live as temporary residents in the land. There is no pasture for your servants' flocks because the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. So now please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part or best region of the land. They may live in the land of Goshen. If you know of any highly capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and presented him before Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how long have you lived? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, all the years of my travels are 130. All the years of my life have been few and painful. The years of my travels are not as long as those of my ancestors. And I think he's speaking specifically of Abraham and Isaac. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. I want to talk for a moment about standing before the king of Egypt. If you go back to verse 1 even of chapter 47, and you see there the names of Joseph and the title of Pharaoh in the same verse, and, and Joseph even is talking to Pharaoh. Let's not forget what God has done here. God took the second youngest of, of a family of 12 brothers, a family of simple shepherds in the land of Canaan. And God, through His providence and through His hand, elevated and exalted this young man, Joseph, to basically stand before the greatest man on earth at that time. The most powerful man on earth at that time. The Pharaoh of Egypt. And, and Joseph actually became, in a sense, the second most powerful man in all the land of Egypt. Only Pharaoh was greater than Joseph. 
And when the Bible says that Joseph went and told Pharaoh, the word to tell isn't just about speaking. It implies one who stands boldly before someone. One who stands courageously before one. One who stands confidently before one. And you not only see this with Joseph, obviously, because he had had years of obviously interacting with, with Pharaoh. But you even see this with his father, Jacob, a man who is now 130 years old, who's lived his whole life pretty much as a shepherd, who came before the greatest, again, man and the one who represented the greatest of men on earth, stood before him. I'm sure the contrast was very noticeable. Here's Pharaoh, surrounded by all the glory of Egypt. Here is Pharaoh, dressed in the finest that the world could, could allow someone to be dressed as. Surrounding him is all the pomp and circumstance, if you will, of the greatest nation on earth at that time. And then here's this humble 130-year-old man, I'm sure his skin was weathered from being out in the, the desert uh, and, and the elements all those years and living as he did, sort of wandering, you know, around the land. And, and here's this man who is also standing very confidently, boldly and courageously before Pharaoh. In fact, the Bible tells us that in a really odd Thing that happens here, very rare, that Pharaoh allows Jacob to bless him. That's a phenomenal thing considering that the Pharaoh was looked at as a god. He was looked at as the only one that could bless someone else in a sense. And now, just because I think of, of of who he knew Joseph to be all those years in serving him in Egypt. And even Jacob carried with him an air, not, not of cockiness or, or pride, but, but again of confidence, boldness, and courage that only came from those who walked with God and were connected with God. And what we have here then in this passage from Genesis 47, I think, is a reminder to us that as Pharaoh represents the great men of the earth, the great women of the earth, the power brokers, those who have great influence and wield great power on the earth, that you and I as the children of God, as a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, should never feel inferior to anyone on earth, no matter who they are and what position they hold. That if we are truly connected with God and walking with Him, we should walk in such a way that we are able to walk courageously, confidently, and boldly through this life. In fact, the Bible even says that the righteous should be as bold as a lion. And here is this 130-year-old man 
who comes in before the most powerful man on earth and blesses him. He has the audacity to bless the one on earth that was considered a god. Because he was connected to the real God. And I think that what God wants us to get out of that is that God wants us to realize that, again, don't let others define who we are, what we do, what we become. Let God define our lives. Let God take us where God wants to and take us before who He wants to. And to always remember that as we carry ourselves as the children of God every day in this world, that if we are truly in fellowship with our God and connected to Him, that we should walk confidently, courageously, and boldly. Never feeling inferior to anyone Again, no matter what their position or power is on earth. Because we are connected with the one who is seated in heaven. Who rules over the universe that he created. And so I hope tonight that maybe some of you in this season of life just need some encouragement in that direction. Maybe you're sort of struggling to be as bold and confident and courageous as you feel you should be or need to be. The best advice and counsel that I could give you is to just keep getting alone with God. I believe it is out of our personal fellowship and time with God that God builds those things into us. It's again why someone like a young shepherd boy like David could stand before the giant Goliath. It's why throughout history, anyone that God sent, they were able to stand before the most powerful people. Later on in Israel's history, God would take a Moses and put him before Pharaoh too. At a time where the Pharaoh wasn't as friendly with the people of God as he was during the time of Joseph. God would take a Daniel and have him stand before people like King Nebuchadnezzar. And God always wants us to realize that God wants us to be conspicuous as his people. So that the reality of who he is... And the light that can come through us can be seen by others in all areas of society. From, from the lowliest to those who occupy the highest of positions. It's why God scatters His people all over and in all different areas. So that His light and His truth and the reality of who He is can be seen. But it also then requires us as God's people to be willing to be that. To be bold and confident and courageous when it's called upon. And again, not to ever feel inferior or less than. Just because maybe we don't hold a certain position. Or have, in a sense, from the earthly perspective, the power of a pharaoh. You'll notice that 
Joseph and Jacob, as they stood before Pharaoh, did not come across like they were less than. Again, why? Because they were connected with God. And they lived their life in the boldness, confidence, and courage that only God can give us. Even though they do say, I want to point this out, in verse 4 when the brothers, and I, you know, it's interesting, the Bible says in verse 2, he took five of his brothers. doesn't say which five. I always wondered, you know, wonder how he chose those. And wonder how the other five felt. Wait a minute, we didn't get to go into Pharaoh, you know. But when the brothers got there, they said, look, we, we've just come to live as temporary residents. Now, the importance of this phrase is this. In the Hebrew, it means to turn off from the path that I am going because there's another purpose. In other words, think of it this way. Are there times in our life where God, we're going down this road with God and God says, turn here. Absolutely. There are times in our life where God says, make a turn. In a sense, they were in Canaan and now they're turning into Egypt. But the important thing about that leading of God is there's a purpose for it. It's always purposeful. There's always a reason for making the turn off the road. Otherwise, I should never make a turn because God doesn't just turn us off for no reason. God had a purpose for turning his people into Egypt. And we've already talked about that, but let me remind you of two reasons here. One was, it was in Egypt where obviously God sent Joseph ahead of time so that they would be provided for during the great famine. And secondly, and the main reason why they stayed there even longer beyond the famine for 400 years was God needed to insulate his people for a time. They had become influenced too much by the Canaanites. And instead of influencing the Canaanites, the Canaanites had influenced the people of God. And they had become uh, compromised in their relationship with God. And they had lost sight of who they really were and who they were to be in God. So God had to turn them into Egypt. And we've already seen where the Egyptians didn't really want to you know, get close to the Israelites. They really didn't want to interact or intermarry with the Israelites. They would leave them alone for 400 years or as long as they were there so that the people of God could once again rediscover who their God was and who they were to be in God. And so that was why he turns them into Egypt. Then... As you move along in this passage, I love this. In verse 5, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. The Pharaoh of Egypt, the one who was in control of Egypt, basically tells Joseph, The land of Egypt is at your disposal. That's what the words mean in the Hebrew language. Anything you need, Joseph, here it is. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Any resource, it's yours. He empowered Joseph to be able to get whatever he needed 
for his family. And then, of course, he gave them the best pasture land in the land of Egypt, which was the land of Goshen. And then this Pharaoh shows what kind, again, of leader he is. And not only did he allow this young Hebrew to be part of his administration because he had proven that he was very capable, but he also then asked Joseph this question. He says, Joseph, if you have any men in your family who are highly capable, make them leaders overseers of my livestock. Now this word highly or these words highly capable are significant as well and give us great insight into really principles of leadership. The words not only speak of those who are able, they have the ability to do something or they have the efficiency to do something but it really carries a very strong emphasis on moral character. Think about it. Pharaoh is even recognizing the importance of character when it comes to leadership, even in Egypt. And so he's telling Joseph, Joseph, if you know of some people in your family that not only have ability, but they have character, make them leaders here in Egypt. That's a great principle for us as well. It's not only to advance and elevate those who are able and efficient, but those who have character and integrity as well. They will be a great force in Egypt. And again, I've already talked a little bit about in verses 7 and 8, this this fascinating uh, allowance here of Pharaoh allowing Jacob to to bless him. And I want to stop here for a minute as well and, and just mention something about blessing. We talk about blessing others or being a blessing or God blessing us and we use the words blessed, blessed and blessing a lot in our, you know, Christian speak I think sometimes we miss the real essence of what the word means. Because a lot of times, even for us as Christians, we, we have a misconception that, that blessing is equated even amongst Christians with health and prosperity. If, if, I'm, if I'm feeling good and, and I'm prospering in a material way, then I am blessed. And yet, in the Bible, the word blessed simply means to be connected to God. In other words, it really has little to do with possessions and prosperity and health. It has everything to do with being connected to God. So that no matter what my circumstances are, if I am staying connected to God, from God's perspective, I'm a blessed individual. And then God wants my connection with Him to end up being a blessing to others. So that others see my connection to God and they want to 
explore and know more about how do I get connected to this God? How do I get to know more about this God? That's why when God said to Abraham these words, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be what? Blessed. Well, now, does that mean that all the families of the earth will be healthy? That all the families of the earth will be prosperous? No. What the word means is, Abraham, you're connected to me, the one true God. And therefore, through your, you and your ancestors and or your descendants, people will understand about me through you. That's what being a blessing is all about. And so the idea of even Jacob blessing Pharaoh is really coming from this perspective. Pharaoh, you are blessed today for this reason. Me and my son Joseph, that you know very well, are connected to the one true God. And you're finding out about our God through our connection to Him. Therefore, you are blessed. That's the idea in its essence of blessing. That's why God calls us to be connected to Him. So that no matter what the circumstances of our life are, sometimes we won't be healthy. Sometimes we'll go through suffering. But if we're still connected to Him, others can be blessed even while we suffer. Sometimes we won't be prosperous. Sometimes, you know, we won't have much maybe of this world's goods, but if we stay connected to God, we can be a blessing to others because, again, they will see the reality of God through us. So I hope maybe that even is just a, a, a nice reminder to us about looking at this idea of blessing from maybe a different perspective than what we have been used to. And that's what we find here in Genesis 47. One more thing. Jacob does tell Pharaoh in verse 9, all the years of my travels are 130. And the word travels is a very significant word because Jacob, is, in a sense, is reminding Pharaoh, I'm just on a pilgrimage. That's what the word means. This is not, this, this earth... Even here in Egypt, that, that's not my final destination. I'm passing through and I'm on my way to a more permanent destination. A better place. And we see that, that throughout the Bible. In fact, Hebrews 11, that chapter that we went through a couple weeks ago on Sunday, talks about how Moses and Abraham and others were able to look past their time on earth to what the real reality of eternity in heaven and all of that that God had promised them. The lasting city, the eternal city, not the ones that will perish one day. Well, that's what Jacob is reminding Pharaoh of. And I'm sure Pharaoh, sitting there as the most powerful man on earth at this time, in the most powerful nation, with all these great structures around him, probably thought, Egypt's going to last forever. And yet Jacob was, in a sense, witnessing to Pharaoh about a better place and a more permanent place that he was just passing through to. He wasn't focused as much on this life as he was 
the life to come. His testimony isn't very glowing, is it? All my life, the years of my life have been few and painful. Filled with adversity and hardship. But I will say this. That's true, especially compared to Abraham and Isaac. Jacob's life was filled with much more adversity and pain than Abraham and Isaac's life was. But let's not forget why. It was primarily because of Jacob's own bad choices and disobedience to God that his life was so painful and filled. He brought most of the pain and hardship that he had to deal with on himself. Then we want to talk for a moment about being settled in the land of Egypt. Notice this is a theme that comes up quite often here. In fact, up in verse 4 of chapter 47, when the, when the, the brothers say, so now please let your servants live in the land of Goshen, it means to be settled there. And then notice verse 11. Joseph settled his father. It means to be settled. And so he settled his father and his brothers and gave them that great land. The land of Ramses. It was another name for the land of Goshen. It was a luxuriant, fresh, and green land. And Joseph said he would provide food for his father, his brothers, verse 12, and all his father's household, according to the number of their little children. Then if you go up to verse 27, notice it says, Israel settled, to be settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they owned the land there. Notice again the recurrence of the word settled or to be settled. This is the next sort of major theme in this chapter. Not only standing before the king of Egypt, but being settled in the land of Egypt. That once God turned his people there, they had to be willing to sit down for a long time and be settled. And the reason I think that this point is so significant and applicable to us today is because just as it was with Jacob and his family up to this point, they were so restless and they were always wandering. And they were never really settled anywhere. They lived a very nomadic life. They could not be settled anywhere. And the significance of this is finally, and this is strange, isn't it, that it was in Egypt that they finally sat down and settled down there. For a long period of time. I think what the Bible teaches is that when the people of God are inwardly unsettled, then we will be outwardly unsettled in our lives. And that was true of Jacob. 
Remember, up to this point, Jacob kept wrestling with God and striving with God and struggling with God and not letting go and letting God and not really trusting God. He always lived in fear. He always lived in in great anxiety and pessimism. It was always, what if this happens and what if that happens? And finally, after all the experiences that God brought him to, he finally was able to just let go and trust God that God's will was better and God's ways were best. And finally, the inner restlessness that he had had all his life finally was leaving and he was finally ready to say, God, whatever you want. And when that inward restlessness was gone, it manifested itself in a external settledness. God wants His people to be settled. And yet today, what I find amongst even a lot of the people of God is they are so restless. They can't settle down anywhere for too long and stay at anything too long. they got to keep wandering and going from this thing to that thing. And I think that that is just a manifestation of, if they were honest, of what's really going on inside. Our outward restlessness in life, our lack of being able to really be settled in anything or anywhere is because we're not settled in here. God wants us to be settled with Him, to let go, to let God, to trust God, To finally acknowledge, God, you've got this. You've got me. I'm just going to trust you. And when we learn to just let go like that and truly trust God and rest in Him, then that inward settledness starts to manifest itself in an outward, external settledness. Where we're not always... Again, wandering and striving and wrestling and going from one thing to another to another. God needed them to settle down for a long period of time and to stay put. Again, these words literally mean sit down. (laughs) And God wanted them to sit down in the land of Egypt. But notice, because God was with them and because this was the will of God that even in Egypt, the Bible says in verse 27, they were fruitful. They bore fruit. It also means they grew and they increased. And and obviously here it's specifically talking about their numbers. But I think that there was an, an even more than just a numerical growth in in the Israelites, they were beginning again to discover who God was and who they were to be as the people of God. And it is incredible. Remember, we saw last week that they entered Egypt with 70 people, and in 400 years, there was going to be about 2.5 million of them. Yeah, they did a pretty good job of increasing, of growing as they Settled there. They made the best of being in Egypt. They, unlike sometimes we can get, 
when we're not maybe where we want to be, but we're where God wants us to be, instead of being settled there and making the best of it, we still try to fight against it. And we won't prosper that way until we finally, in a sense, cry uncle and say, okay, God, if this is where you want me, I'll make the best of it. And that's exactly what it meant when it says they owned the land there. They made the best of being in Egypt. Instead of grousing and grumbling and complaining about, oh my goodness, you know, like, like they did when they left Egypt. Remember 400 years later when God finally delivers them? They get out of Egypt and all the people can do is complain and gripe and grumble. Ah, I wish we were back in Egypt. God, why don't you just take... Why, we just It would be better to go back in Egypt and be slaves. Well, when they first got there... They were going to make the best of it. And that's an important principle as well. The Bible says in verse 28 that Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, which is very interesting because Jacob had 17 years with Joseph before Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, and he had 17 years at the end of his life with Joseph as well. The time for Israel... To die approached, verse 29, so he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If now I found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and show me kindness and faithfulness. This was a ritual connected with making a solemn promise in those days. And the promise that he wanted his son Joseph to, to give to him was, Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And Joseph said, I will do as you say. Jacob said, swear to me that you will do so. And Joseph gave him his word. Then the Bible says Israel bowed down before God at the head of his bed. And the word signified that he was worshiping God at that point is what the language speaks about. I'll end with this tonight. I didn't even get to the one section. We'll, we'll get there next week. But one of the important things, too, you see here in, again, Jacob's growth and maturity in his own life, even at 130 years of age, and finally being settled in with God, is that where was his focus? His focus was on the promises of God, which can settle us. Because he went back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And even though he did not know how long he and his family would be in Egypt, he was looking past Egypt and saying, I know one day God is going to be true to his word. And God is going to take us, his people, from this place. Because we're not going to be here forever. Because God promised us this land over here where we've come from. And so one day, God's going to take us back to that land. So I'm counting on that, Joseph. I believe in the promises of God. In fact, isn't it true that in the end, that's really all that we have in life is the promises of God? When all is said and done, that's really what we're banking on are the promises of God. And Jacob finally got to that point in his life. Where after all those years again of wrestling and wrangling with God and striving with God and thinking he still knew more than God did, he finally got to a place as 130 years of age where he was willing to trust God and focus on the promises, put his hope in them and believe in them and rest in them and be settled in them. 
And so he's able to look past Egypt and look to the land of Canaan where he would be buried. He looked to the promises of God. Maybe tonight there's an unsettledness in your life. Again, I think some of the best advice and counsel I could give to any individual who has that unsettledness is to focus on the promises of God. There is nothing that can settle us, stabilize us, give us security, establish us, make us firm, and give us strength like the promises of God. An old hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. That's what Jacob was doing as he worshipped here at the end of his life. He was standing on the promises of God. And that's what God wants us to do as well. He wants us to learn to have the confidence, the courage, and the boldness to stand before the great people of the earth. Never feeling inferior to anyone. Because if you and I humble ourselves before the King of Kings, then we can stand before any king on earth. We can stand before any human being because we humble ourselves before the King. And we can also be settled in our lives. Instead of always experiencing this restlessness. And we do that by finally coming to the place that Jacob came to. It's finally coming to the place where we acknowledge, God, your way's best. I've struggled with you. I've wrestled with you. I've strived with you. But I'm finally to a place in my life where I just Whatever you want, God. Wherever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, I'll just be settled in that. And whatever it is, I'll make the best of it wherever it's at. When you and I get to that level of faith, that's where both that internal settledness will also result in external settledness. And that's what God wants to see from His people. Remember, the Israelites as a nation are an example that when we don't rest in God, we wander. We wander. That's what the children of Israel did for 40 years after they got delivered out of Egypt. Because they did not rest and trust and believe in God. And so they wandered. Today, God wants His people to stop wandering and to be settled. Let's be settled in Him and who He wants us to be in this season of our life. Next week, we'll get to managing crisis, which is a very important message in and of itself. 
But let's close in prayer. God, again, it's amazing how a historical event that happened thousands of years ago to people who have long been dead for many, many centuries can be so applicable and relevant to where we are even today. God, we are still a people that need to be encouraged to stand, to stand up, to stand out, to stand for you, to not be intimidated or feel inferior to anyone else on earth, to humble ourselves before you and let you, God, elevate us, make us conspicuous for your glory. Allow your light to shine through us to others. So that, Lord, our connection with you can help others to see you through us. God, as you bless us by us being connected to you, help us then to be a blessing to others. To help others see the reality of you in our lives. And God... Remind us about the importance of being a settled people. A people who are settled on the inside so that we become settled on the outside. God, we pray that you would continue to make us firm, to make us stable to establish us so that we can be a a pillar, God, of reliability and dependability in this earth. Thank you, God, for being an immutable, unchanging God. Lord, we never have to guess who you are, because, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are always true. And so, God, help us to reflect that as well in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hope to see many of you at the picnic on Saturday and then at church on Sunday.